disputé de tous. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. All right, we've got two really big ones to tackle today. And it's going to be a pretty lengthy episode, so hopefully you can forgive me if I don't have a super long intro today. Nor any stupid elephant jokes. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Let me take you back into the past, folks. Way, way, way back to October of 2019. Back when mainstream publications were cool with saying things like, quote, we have no reason to believe 5G is safe, end quote. At least that's the headline for an article from Scientific American that says, quote, the technology is coming, but contrary to what some people say, there could be health risks. End quote. And this was written by Joel M. Moskowitz on October 17th, 2019, who writes, The telecommunications industry and their experts have accused many scientists who have researched the effects of cell phone radiation of quote-unquote fear-mongering over the advent of wireless technologies 5G. Since much of our research is publicly funded, we believe it is our ethical responsibility Responsibility to inform the public about what the peer-reviewed scientific literature tells us about the health risks from wireless radiation. The chairman of the Federal Communications Commission, FCC, recently announced through a press release that the commission will soon reaffirm the radio frequency radiation, RFR, exposure limits that the FCC adopted in the late 1990s. These limits are based upon a behavioral change in rats exposed to microwave radiation and were designed to protect us from short-term heating risks due to RFR exposure. Yet, since the FCC adopted these limits based largely on research from the 1980s, the preponderance of peer-reviewed research, more than 500 studies, have found harmful biologic or health effects from exposure to RFR 
CFR at intensities too low to cause significant heating. Citing this large body of research, more than 240 scientists who have published peer-reviewed research on the biologic and health effects of non-ionizing electromagnetic fields EMF, signed the International EMF Scientist Appeal, which calls for stronger exposure limits. The appeal makes the following assertions, quote, Numerous recent scientific publications have shown that EMF affects living organisms at levels well below most international and national guidelines. Effects include increased cancer risk, cellular stress, increase in harmful free radicals, genetic damages, structural and functional changes of the reproductive system, learning and memory deficits, neurological disorders, and negative impacts on general well-being in humans. Damage goes well beyond the human race, as there is growing evidence of harmful effects to both plant and animal life." End quote. The scientists who signed this appeal arguably constitute the majority of experts on the effects of non-ionizing radiation. They have published more than 2,000 papers and letters on EMF in professional journals. The FCC's RFR exposure limits regulate the intensity of exposure, taking into account the frequency of the carrier waves, but ignore the signaling properties of the RFR. Along with the patterning and duration of exposures, certain characteristics of the signal, example pulsing or polarization, increase the biologic and health impacts of the exposure. New exposure limits are needed which account for these differential effects. Moreover, these limits should be based on a biological effect, not a change in a laboratory rat's behavior. The World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, classified RFR as quote-unquote possibly carcinogenic to humans in 2011. Last year, a $30 million study conducted by the U.S. National Toxicology Program, NTP, found quote-unquote clear evidence that two years of exposure to cell phone RFR increased cancer in male rats and damaged DNA in rats and mice of both sexes. The Ramazzini Institute in Italy replicated the key finding of the NTP using a different carrier frequency and much weaker exposure to cell phone radiation over the life of the rats. Based upon the research published since 2011, including human and animal studies and mechanistic data, the IARC has recently prioritized RFR to be reviewed again in the next five years, since many EMF scientists believe we now have sufficient evidence to consider RFR as either a probable or known human carcinogen, the IARC will likely upgrade the carcinogenic potential of RFR in the near future. Nonetheless, without conducting a formal risk assessment or a systematic review of the research on RFR health effects, the FDA recently reaffirmed the FCC's 1996 exposure limits in a letter to the FCC, stating that the agency had, quote, concluded that no changes to the current standards are warranted at this time, and that NTP's experimental findings should not be applied to 
to human cell phone usage, end quote. The letter stated that, quote, the available scientific evidence to date does not support adverse health effects in humans due to exposures at or under the current limits, end quote. The latest cellular technology, 5G, will employ millimeter waves for the first time in addition to microwaves that have been in use for older cellular technologies 2G through 4G. Given limited reach, 5G will require cell antennas every 100 to 200 meters, exposing many people to millimeter wave radiation. 5G also employs new technologies, example active antennas capable of beam forming, phased arrays, and massive multiple inputs and outputs known as massive MIMO, which pose unique challenges for measuring exposures. Millimeter waves are mostly absorbed within a few millimeters of human skin and in the surface layers of the cornea. Short-term exposure can have adverse physiological effects in the peripheral nervous system, the immune system, and the cardiovascular system. The research suggests that long-term exposure may pose health risks to the skin, example melanoma, the eyes, example ocular melanoma, and the testes, example sterility. Since 5G is a new technology, there is no research on health effects, so we are flying blind, to quote a U.S. senator. However, we have considerable evidence about the harmful effects of 2G and 3G. Little is known about the effects of exposure to 4G, a 10-year-old technology, because governments have been remiss in funding this research. Meanwhile, we are seeing increases in certain types of head and neck tumors in tumor registries, which may be at least partially attributable to the proliferation of cell phone radiation. These increases are consistent with results from case control studies of tumor risk in heavy cell phone users. 5G will not replace 4G. It will accompany 4G for the near future and possibly over the long term. If there are synergistic effects from simultaneous exposures to multiple types of RFR, our overall risk of harm from RFR may increase substantially. Cancer is not the only risk, as there is considerable evidence that RFR causes neurological disorders and reproductive harm, likely due to oxidative stress. As a society, should we invest hundreds of billions of dollars deploying 5G, a cellular technology that requires the installation of 800,000 or more new cell antenna sites in the U.S. close to where we live, work, and play? Instead, we should support the recommendations of the 250 scientists and medical doctors who signed the 5G appeal that calls for an immediate moratorium on the deployment of 5G and demand that our government fund the research needed to adopt biologically-based exposure limits that protect our health and safety. blogs.scientificamerican.com 
Now, across the next year, a number of things happened. Number one, the pandemic. Number two, a sudden rush to get 5G technology out in the public. Number three, for some odd reason, the mainstream media aggressively attacked and quote-unquote fact-checked any news concerning the health effects of 5G. Yet, while at the same time, number four, a landmark study by a New Hampshire legislative commission was being conducted concerning the environmental and health effects of 5G wireless technology. And here's the update, as reported by Dr. Joseph Merkola. Flying under the radar, so to speak, during the media coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic is the rollout of a hyper-fast speed 5G wireless network. As millions of Americans are suddenly working remotely, it has proven to be a power opportunity for regulators to move 5G forward. Yet in the face of expanding wireless connections, a landmark study recommends reducing exposure. Despite concern by many experts, the implementation is moving forward under the guise of bringing a faster and more efficient internet at any cost. While the 4G network uses under 6 gigahertz on the radio frequency spectrum, 5 will occupy from 30 to 300 gigahertz, which are shorter millimeter wavelengths. The health effects of consistent exposure to pulses of these wavelengths have not been thoroughly studied, but the initial evidence shows it is likely dangerous. Following the passage of New Hampshire House Bill 522, the New Hampshire Legislative Commission to study the environmental and health effects of the evolving 5G technology was formed. The commission was made up of 13 members whose education included epidemiology, occupational health, toxicology, physics, engineering, electromagnetics, and a representative from the wireless industry. As quoted from EMF Safety Network, the commission was asked to answer eight pointed questions including why thousands of peer-reviewed radio frequency studies that show a wide range of health effects, including DNA damage, brain and heart tumors, infertility, and many other ailments have been ignored by the FCC. Why the FCC guidelines do not account for health effects of wireless technology. Why the FCC radio frequency limits are 100 times higher than those in other countries. Why the FCC is ignoring the World Health Organization classification of wireless as a possible carcinogen. Why, when the world's leading scientists sign an appeal to protect public health from wireless radiation, nothing has been done. The commission heard from experts and ultimately all except the telecommunication representative acknowledged that RF radiation coming from wireless devices had an effect on humans, animals, insects, and plants. The commission wrote, quote, There is mounting evidence that DNA damage can occur from radiation outside of 
the ionizing part of the spectrum. The commission heard arguments on both sides of this issue, with many now saying there are findings showing biological effects in this range. This argument gets amplified as millimeter waves within the microwave range are beginning to be utilized, end quote. Their first recommendation was, quote, an independent review of the current RF standards of the electromagnetic radiation in the 300 megahertz to 300 gigahertz microwave spectrum, end quote, to assess the health risks that were linked to cellular communications. The remaining recommendations included those that would reduce an individual's exposure to 5G network and increase the public's knowledge and awareness of their exposure. Included was a shorter minority report written by the business and industry representative and the telecommunications representative who were not in agreement with the majority of experts. The EMF Safety Network wrote, quote, This minority report parrots the language of the telecommunications industry and exposes their agenda to ignore science and continue to confuse the public, end quote. Mercola.com. Now, folks, I think there is a much bigger agenda going on. In fact, I believe that all of these topics that I've been covering, my so-called elephants in the room, and the fact that the mainstream media ignores, avoids, and or denies the vast majority of these topics, are all leading up to one thing, the biggest, baddest, el numero uno elephant in the room, known as the Great Reset. And I know I've covered this before on my show, as well as during guest appearances on other shows. So I won't repeat myself. However, here's an update to everything in that department. According to F. William Engdahl, writing for Global Research, the top-down reorganization of the world economy by a cabal of technocratic corporativists led by the group around the Davos World Economic Forum, the so-called Great Reset, or UN Agenda 2030, is no future proposal. It is well into actualization as the world remains in insane lockdown for a virus. The hottest investment area since onset of the coronavirus global lockdowns is something called ESG investing. This highly subjective and very controlled game is dramatically shifting global capital flows into a select group of quote-unquote approved corporate stocks and bonds. Notably, it advances the dystopian UN Agenda 2030, or the WEF Great Reset Agenda. The development is one of the most dangerous and least understood shifts in at least the past century. The UN Sustainable Economy Agenda is being realized quietly by the very same global banks which created the financial crises in 2008. This time, they are preparing the Klaus Schwab WEF Great Reset by steering hundreds of billions and soon trillions in investments to their hand-picked quote-unquote woke companies and away from the quote-unquote not woke, such as oil and gas companies or coal. What the bankers and giant investment funds like BlackRock have done is to create a new investment infrastructure that picks winners or losers for investment according to how serious that company is about ESG, environmental 
environment, social values, and governance. For example, a company gets positive ratings for the seriousness of its hiring gender-diverse management and employees, or takes measures to eliminate their carbon footprint by making their energy sources green or sustainable, to use the UN term. How corporations contribute to a global sustainable governance is the most vague of the ESG and could include anything from corporate donations to Black Lives Matter to supporting UN agencies such as WHO. The crucial central goal of ESG strategists is to create a shift to inefficient and costly alternative energy, the zero-carbon promised utopia. It is being driven by the world's major financial institutions and central banks. They have created a dazzling array of organizations to drive their green investing agenda. In 2013, well before the coronavirus, the major Wall Street bank, Morgan Stanley, created its own Institute for Sustainable Investing. This was soon expanded in 2015 when Morgan Stanley joined the steering committee of the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financials, PCAF. On its website, they state, quote, PCAF is based upon the Paris Climate Agreement's position that the global community should strive to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and that society should decarbonize and reach net zero emissions by 2050, end quote. By 2020, the PCAF had more than 100 banks and financial institutions, including ABN AMRO, NatWest, Lloyds Bank, Barclays, Bank of America, Citigroup, CIBC, Donsk Bank, and others. Several of the PCAF member banks have been indicted in money laundering cases. Now they sense a new role as virtue models to change the world economy, if we are to believe the rhetoric. Notably, former Bank of England governor Mark Carney is a quote-unquote observer or consultant to the PCAF. In August 2020, the PCAF published a draft standard outlining a proposed approach for global carbon accounting. This means the bankers are creating their own accounting rules for how to rate or value a company's carbon footprint or green profile. Mark Carney is at the center of reorganizing world finance to back the UN 2030 green agenda behind the WEF Davos Great Reset, where he is a member of the Board of Trustees. He also is advisor to the UN Security General as United Nations Special Envoy for Climate Action. He has described the PCAF plan as follows, quote, To achieve net zero, we need a whole economy transition. Every company, every bank, every insurer and investor will have to adjust their business models, develop credible plans for the transition, and implement them. For financial firms, that means reviewing more than the emissions generated by their own business activity. They must measure and report the emissions generated by the companies they invest in and lend to. PCAF's work to standardize the approach to measuring financed emissions is an important step to ensuring that every financial decision takes climate change into account, end quote. As governor of the Bank of England, Carney played a key role getting world central banks behind the green agenda of 
the UN 2030 scheme. The major central banks of the world, through their umbrella Bank for International Settlements, BIS, created a key part of the growing global infrastructure that is steering investment flows to quote-unquote sustainable companies and away from those like oil and gas companies it deems quote-unquote unsustainable. When then-Bank of England Governor Mark Carney was head of the BIS Financial Stability Board, FSB, he established something called Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, TCFD, in 2015. The central bankers of the FSB nominated 31 people to form the TCFD, chaired by billionaire Michael Bloomberg. It included, in addition to BlackRock, J.P. Morgan Chase, Barclays Bank, HSBC, Swiss Re, China's ICBC Bank, Tata Steel, ENI Oil, Dow Chemical, mining giant BHP, and David Blood of Al Gore's Generation Investment LLC, and Finucane, the vice chair of the Bank of America, a member of both the PCAF and the TCFD, noted, quote, We are committed to ensuring that climate-related risks and opportunities are properly managed within our business, and that we are working with governments and markets to accelerate the changes required. Climate change presents risks to the business community, and it is important for companies to articulate how these risks are being managed, end quote. The Bank of America vice chair describes how they assess risks in its real estate loan portfolio by assessing, quote, acute physical risk analysis on a sample portfolio of Bank of America residential mortgages across the U.S., end quote. As well, the bank's investment risk in oil and gas, as well as other industrial sectors, is reviewed using the criteria of Carney's TCFD. All risks are defined as related to CO2, despite the fact there is no conclusive scientific proof that man-made CO2 emission is about to destroy our planet by global warming. Rather, evidence of solar activity suggests we are entering an unstable cooling period, grand solar minimum. That's of no concern to the financial interests who stand to reap trillions in the coming decade. Another key part of the financial preparation for the Great Reset, the fundamental transformation from a high-energy intensity economy to a low and economically inefficient one, is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, SASB. SASB says it, quote, provides a clear set of standards for reporting sustainability information across a wide range of issues, end quote. This sounds reassuring until we look at who makes up the members of the SASB that will give the climate-friendly imprimatur. Members include, in addition to the world's largest fund manager, BlackRock, more than $7 trillion under management, also Vanguard Funds, Fidelity Investments, Goldman Sachs, State Street Global, Carlyle Group, Rockefeller Capital Management, and numerous major banks such as Bank of America and UBS. Many of these are responsible for the 2008 global financial collapse. What is this framework group doing? According to their website, quote, Since 2011, we have been working towards an ambitious goal of developing and maintaining sustainability accounting standards for 77 industries, end quote. Where this is all going is to create a 
web of globally-based financial entities who control combined wealth, including insurance and pension funds, into what they claim to be worth $100 trillion. They are setting the rules and will define a company or even a country by the degree of carbon emissions they create. If you are deemed a carbon polluter, as the oil, gas, and coal industries are deemed today, the global capital flows will disinvest or avoid funding you. The immediate target of this financial cartel is the backbone of the world economy, the oil, coal, and natural gas sector. Oil industry analysts predict that over the next five years or less, investment flows into the world's largest energy sector will fall dramatically. BlackRock's chairman and CEO Larry Fink wrote in his 2021 letter to CEOs, quote, Given how central the energy transition will be to every company's growth prospects, we are asking companies to disclose a plan for how their business model will be compatible with a net zero economy, end quote. Another BlackRock officer told a recent energy conference, quote, where BlackRock goes, others will follow, end quote. The Biden administration is already making good on his pledge to phase out oil and gas by banning new leases in federal lands and offshore and the Keystone XL oil pipeline. The oil and gas sector and its derivatives, such as petrochemicals, are at the heart of the world economy. The 50 largest oil and gas companies in the world, including both state-owned and publicly traded companies, recorded revenues of about $5.4 trillion in 2015. As the new Biden administration pushes their ideological opposition to so-called fossil fuels, the world will see a precipitous decline in oil and gas investment. The role of the Davos globalists and the ESG financial players are out to guarantee that. And the losers will be us. Energy prices will skyrocket, as they did during the recent Texas blizzards. The cost of electricity in industrial countries will become prohibitive for the manufacturing industry. But rest well, this is all part of the ongoing Great Reset and its new doctrine of ESG investing. In 2010, the head of Working Group 3 of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Dr. Otmar Edenhofer, told an interviewer, quote, One must say clearly that we redistribute de facto the world's wealth by climate policy. One has to free oneself from the illusion that international climate policy is environmental policy. This has almost nothing to do with environmental policy anymore, end quote. The WEF Great Reset is not simply a big idea of Klaus Schwab reflecting on the economic devastation of the coronavirus. It has been long planned by the money masters. Globalresearch.ca And there we have it, folks. That officially wraps up my Elephants in the Room series. Of course, unfortunately for me, that doesn't mean that we're done talking about them. It just means I'm done talking about them right now. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been the Daily Ruckus for Tuesday, April 13, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.